Father, this is a very special gift and privilege that you give to me to be here to worship you today. You are God. You are glorious. You're beautiful in every way. And your gifts are beautiful. Though sometimes we don't recognize the beauty in what you're doing. And we've sung about that. There are times that we ask you to pray, or we pray and ask you to part the waters, and you don't part it in the way that we ask, but you're at work. And so, Father, as we look at your majestic glory and your sovereign pleasure in doing what you do, guide us in your word this morning and help us to respond to your word and to your spirit in a way that brings honor to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike said it's been a long time since we've been coming here. It was June 1988, the first time that Beth and I drove here from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, up Highway 15 through the northern part of Pennsylvania. And our son was not even a year old at that time. And we met with you and and we shared the vision and, and, and purpose that God had laid on our hearts to make his name known among North African immigrants in France. And this church, that summer of 1988, I believe in God's divine beauty, uh, led the church to be partners in the ministry that he had called us to. And we've been partnering together now these 29 years. And I want to say on behalf of Beth, who would love to be with us today if she could be, um, thank you. Thank you for your first and foremost prayer partnership. There are people here who pray for us, have prayed for us every day for years. And we could not say any stronger words than that is the most important thing you can do. Thank you for your partnership in prayer. You've partnered with us in finances, and we thank you. And I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring you greetings from Chris and Karen, who are in Dallas. <laughs> They're where I'm going to be in later today if everything works out with the flights. Um, and, they, and you have partnered with us by releasing some of your, your own to come and be a part of what God is doing there in the conferences in Redding, or Redding, in Dallas, Texas. This morning... I also want to say it is my deep delight in God's gift to come and spend some time with John. From our earliest days back in, at Liberty University, God began knitting our hearts together. Beth and Sola worked together at the dentist office and, and built a, a friendship. And, and God put something in our hearts together in those early days and and it has grown over the years, and it has been my pleasure each time we come, when it's with Beth and the family, sometimes it's, it was me and one of the children, um, sometimes it was alone, to have time with John. And as we heard the news of the prognosis, and God can change what the doctors think and believe, I felt compelled that I wanted to spend another Afternoon with John. John, I love you, brother. Sola, we love you too. You are dear, dear friends. 
your partners in ministry. And, and it's over the years that we've enjoyed looking together to God and, and, and opening our hearts and sharing. And part of the privilege is we're, we're in very different ministries, so we can come and unload and open our hearts and walk away, hug each other and walk away, and it's, it's all good. And that's been a gift from God. And even yesterday was another gift from God. And, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Have any of you felt like me and some others that sometimes, as we sang about, what God is doing doesn't seem to demonstrate His sovereign work? This past year, just a few things, Kudita and Burundi, and my goodness, we could spend all morning talking about the different things. An attack on our brothers and sisters in Pakistan. Is this coming through behind me? We're okay. The, the big one in the news, the civil war in Syria. Almost a half a million people killed, millions displaced, homes, families destroyed. A horror that is beyond description. Religious conflicts leading to terror attacks. Muslims against Muslims, Muslims against anyone else, and they're happening all over the place and continue to. Within our own country, racial issues and tensions that boil over. Some people were a little discombobulated about the elections. And we can wonder, is God at work in the midst of a democratic system? And yes, living under the curse of sin and the realities that that provokes in our health can cause us to wonder, how is God at work? Is God at work? Is God truly, sovereignly working through what we're facing? This morning I invite you to reflect on two beautiful verses. Psalm 115 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. And then, in Psalm 135 Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Friends, God is doing what He pleases. And He is working in ways that we don't always see. And sometimes He opens the curtain and He allows us to see what He's doing behind the scenes, but He doesn't always do that. And sometimes we need to be reminded that our God is in the heavens and He is carrying out His purposes just as He said. Now there are two ways to approach the truths of, of God's sovereign grace, and God's sovereign work in the world and in my life, we could go through just an endless number of scriptures and be here all through the day looking at passage after passage through the Bible. Or we could look at particular sections of the Bible. We could look at Esther and see God's amazing sovereign work in the life of a young lady and how he used her life to affect a nation. We could look at the life of Ruth and Naomi and see God's sovereign work in and through a very painful situation in their lives. Or we could look at Jonah. <laughs> we did that yesterday morning in the men's prayer group. And understand that God does work. But today, with the help of J. Sidlow Baxter, an incredible author and theologian, I would like us to take a short overview, a 20,000-foot look at the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and see God's glory at work. And this message has two parts. It's, it's seeing God's sovereign glory, how He is at work, 
And then it is, how do we respond? The second part is our response to that. So let's look and follow along. We're, we're not going to look at one particular. We're going to do an overview as we survey God's sovereign grace and glory. Fifty chapters in the book of Genesis, you know that. Chapters 1 through 11 constitute the first part. These are the early events of humanity. And then in the second part of the book, as far as the division, we see the first fathers, the patriarchs. These are the patriarchs through whom God was at work to accomplish His purposes, beginning with Abraham. The four major events, creation, the fall, the flood, and the Babel crisis. And then there were four outstanding persons through whom God worked. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So let's look at these and see God's work, and and then let's reflect on what God wants us to understand about His sovereign work. Number one, creation. The emphasis is definitely on God. It says, in the beginning, God created. The Spirit of God moved, and God said, and God made. And very clearly, the emphasis is that God is before all, above all, beneath all, within all, and around all, and beyond all. God is sovereign in everything. Absolutely sovereign in the physical creation of all that there is. God is not applying for a job. He's God. He created this world. He created the universes that we're still discovering. He created the most minute aspects of life that we, we, we zero down with the aid of science and, and see these molecular structures that we would not imagine. God is sovereign over every aspect of creation. And then we come to the fall in Genesis. God gives man his being. God places him in the garden paradise and provides for him the ideal setting, a perfect, beautiful setting, not only physically, but a setting in which there could be communion between God and his creation, a reason for which he created us, to commune with him. God set the test and warned of the penalty. There's a tree here, and you are not to eat of this tree. And yes... God passed the sentence on the man, the woman, and the serpent because of their sinful choices. They chose to disobey. Adam and Eve chose the tree, chose their own desires instead of God. And that's really the essence of sin. Why did God put the tree there? Because it demonstrates our privilege of choosing. God gives us the choice of choosing. And when we choose someone, we honor them. We glorify them. We say, you are worthy because we choose them. And when God put a tree in the garden, He gave us the privilege of choosing Him above ourselves. And Adam and Eve failed that test, and we continue to down through the ages. And so what we see is that God is sovereign as the moral authority over all of mankind. We come to the flood. In chapter 3, we read of the fall. In chapter 4, there's the line of Cain. Then in chapter 5, the line of Seth, and and then you see them kind of blurring together, and there's confusion, there's sin, there's a mess. It's a corrupted place. And in chapter 7, we find the judgment of the flood. And in the flood, we see that God is sovereign, not only in his moral authority, but as authority in the moral structure of man, he is sovereign in his righteous judgment. When we choose against God, He is sovereign in His righteous judgment for what we do against His glory. 
And he demonstrated that in the flood. Then we come to the Babel crisis. The tower was started, but it was not completed. The tower centralized the first concerted effort to oppose the will of God. We're going to do our thing. And this group of people stood in opposition to God's sovereign work. And interestingly, it was God who came down to view it, so to speak. And it was God who confounded their language. And it was God who scattered them across the face of the earth. God is the one who did that. And we find that God is sovereign in ethnic and linguistic development and placement of all peoples. As a matter of fact, Paul said it this way in Acts 17. We referred to this in the Sunday school hour. That God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. God is sovereign in the development of ethnicities and languages around the world. God is a creative God. And God has developed all of this and he is bringing about his purposes through it. Now we come to the end of chapter 11, this this first division, and we come to chapter 12, and there's a distinct change in the history of what God is doing. But in the four patriarchs that we see in Genesis, we also see a very clear, distinct demonstration of God's sovereign work. We begin with Abraham. Abraham demonstrates God's sovereignty in his call. He was the youngest of three sons. God surpassed the normal line to speak to the oldest son, to speak to the one who was the heir of the father. He bypassed the second born, and he went to the third, the youngest of the sons, and he called him. A call that had never come to any other person beforehand. To come and to follow me. To come and go where I will show you. And Hebrews 11 says, He went out not knowing where he was going. This was a divine sovereign call to trust God, to believe God, and God acted in his place. And then we arrive at the son of Abraham. We find that God's sovereign glory was demonstrated through a supernatural birth. Abraham and Sarah, dead as it were in their their bodies, not able to reproduce, and yet God said, I have something to do. He promised him a son. And Abraham was, was somewhat confused. Well, could it only be Ishmael? Could it be that one that we have produced in our own efforts? No. God said, I will give you a son. A promise that was impossible demonstrated God's sovereign work in a supernatural birth. And then we come... To Jacob. And we find God's sovereign glory was manifest through his supernatural care. Jacob fled from an angry brother, one that he had, as it were, usurped the blessing of his father. And God met him and protected him. And we see God working supernaturally. He blessed him in the face of the wiles of his father in law. He promised him a wife and he worked faithfully. And God Gave him grace to persevere when the father-in-law gave him a different one. And yet, he was at work. And then God changed the heart of an angry brother to a loving heart. And God gave him sovereign, supernatural care. We find 
in the life of Joseph. God's sovereign glory expressed through supernatural control. He was loved by his father, maybe in a way that was not appropriate, but he was the the blessing that his father enjoyed more than the others. He was rejected and sold into slavery by his brothers. He was imprisoned for his integrity. God, how can you be at work through this? I honor you by being a person of integrity, fleeing immorality, and choosing to honor you in my own body, and he's imprisoned for it. And it was in prison that he was exalted to become the number two man of Egypt as the world's supplier of grain. And how does Joseph see it? He says to his brothers, It was not you who sent me here, but God. God was at work. You meant it evil. But God had another purpose. God was at work in an incredible way through the painful circumstances that Joseph was living. And what we find very clearly in the first book of the Bible is that all events, even the most contrary, difficult and painful, dovetail into God's sovereign plan and bring about His sovereign divine purposes. 1985, God allowed my wife and I to, to go and live in the country of Sudan. It was a time of famine, a drought. It was a place where there were hundreds of thousands and maybe even into the millions across the country who had been displaced because of the lack of, of water and, and basic supplies of life. And, and God opened a door for Liberty University to go and work there in a humanitarian project and And we were invited to be a part of it. And we did go. And it was there that we were living out the the joy of caring for people and helping them and and holding these babies that literally my wife had prayed for as a child when she'd see pictures of compassion children. She cut them out and put them on her bedroom door so she could pray for them. And here God gave us the privilege of going and, and caring for people who were suffering. But in caring for people who are suffering, who are dying needlessly because of some poor choices of people in government and other situations and the realities of of the climate there, the drought that was just so harsh, we saw death, pervasive death. And my heart began to ache, God, how can you work through this? How can you use this type of situation to bring glory to yourself? And one day I was in Khartoum. We lived 12 hours out into the desert of Sudan. And and it was on a trip into Khartoum that we went to the SIM bookstore. And I came across a book. Not looking for it. I came across it. A commentary by Hugh Martin. And reading that commentary for me was like water to my soul. Literally in a desert. And I want to read to you. An extended quote because it captures the truth of what we see in these eight aspects of the book of Genesis and out and throughout the scriptures. And you can follow along as I read. Hugh Martin says this, Meantime, it may be profitable to carry away with us this first lesson. That Jehovah, the God of Israel, is the God of all the earth. The man who walks with God in truth, who labors to realize the divine presence and to be continually saying, Thou God seest me, will not think it any other than a blessed aid to his piety 
and spiritual joy when called to remember that His God is in the heavens. That throughout all the nations of the earth, He does whatever pleases Him. That the wars and rumors of wars in any land are all parts of the development of Jehovah's unsearchable but infinitely wise plan. That every event, however untoward it may appear, is but bearing onward the chariot of our King to that goal where His glory shall be seen advanced in every age and in every moment of history. That the rise and overthrow and replacing of nations are events that transpire under the eyes of Him who under whose feet the ages move along in His own appointed order to the day of the consummation of all things. Bringing forward that time when the gospel, having been preached for a testimony at all the earth, and believing meek ones gathered around his hand, the groans of creation being ended in the tabernacle of the Lord with men upon the earth, the song shall rise from the holy ones. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, your King of saints. You... Shall not fear, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments are manifest. Friends, this morning, I call you to re- recognize and to rejoice that our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He is carrying out his purposes in the ways that we would never imagine. Who would imagine that it is through death that we have life? Who would imagine that God would use the Ayatollah Khomeini to turn today what is anticipated to be one million Iranians who are following Jesus Christ? Who would imagine that God would use President Assad and the forces in Syria to cause Syrians to turn in numbers that have never been seen before in faith to Jesus Christ. God is in the heavens and he is at work. So how do we respond? I would commend to you three things. Number one, we would say with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. God's sovereignty functions to assure us that the things are not getting out of control. Coupled with his love, God's sovereignty assures that the Christian, the Christian that in all things, he is at work for our good. And the question is, what is that good? Is it my comfort Is that good for which God is at work my pleasure? Is it my enjoyment? No, it's not. The answer to that question is what Paul says in verse 29. That good through which God is working all things for those he loves is stated in verse 29. For whom he foreknew... He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the good. God is at work through good things and through pain to make us like His Son. That's what He's doing. 
So how do we respond? We trust God, knowing that He is at work in me and in a world that sometimes may seem to be out of whack, so to speak. We say with the psalmist, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful, for in you my soul takes refuge. You are my trust. You are my hope. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry to the Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. We respond first and foremost to God's sovereign glory with trust. He has a purpose, and He is accomplishing His purpose through everything we experience. Number two, we recognize in Naomi's story in the book of Ruth, That the scale of time during which God works out his purposes for us is far greater than our incessant focus on the present. You see, we see life with our little smartphone or our calendar and we think, okay, today this and tomorrow this and next week and next month. And God sees lives. And when we look at the scriptures, we find that God is at work in generations. And God's picture of what He's doing doesn't necessarily fit my time frame. How is it that God could work? And we see in the story of Naomi that it's a love story with a happy ending, yes, in which God is seen to be operating behind the scenes. The writer sees more than this, more than Naomi herself could have known. She would have never imagined and dreamed that her child, the child of Ruth, the child that was given to her to raise would be in the line of the Messiah. You see, God had something bigger than what she saw in her life. She said, call me bitter. And then God blessed her. And God had something generations down the road that was taking place in Naomi's life. Naomi never knew that she would be an ancestor of Jesus the Messiah. She could not possibly have enjoyed any prospect of being written up in the canon of Scripture that hundreds of millions of Jews and Christians alike would read for millennia. Her time scale was her. But God saw something bigger. How do we respond to God? We respond to trust and confidence. We cast ourselves on Him for His mercy, knowing that He is at work. And secondly, we understand that His work is in a time frame that doesn't necessarily fit my life. Number three, we say with the sons of Korah, Psalm 48, we have thought on your steadfast love, O God. In the midst of your temple, as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the nation. Number three, we worship God For his sovereign glory. We trust him. We recognize that his work is beyond my own life. It's a bigger picture. And number three. We worship him. We say with Moses. Who is like you among the gods O Lord? Who is like you majestic in holiness? Awesome in praises. Working wonders. You who fear the Lord. Praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Friends, God desires that we enjoy him and worship him. 
And so today, we remind ourselves, our God is in the heavens and does all that he pleases. He's worthy of our trust. He is at work in ways that we cannot see beyond our own lives. And as being worthy of our trust, he's worthy of our worship. Let's pray. You are God. You are good. You are holy. You're holy in your knowledge, Father. You're holy in your power. You are holy in your righteousness, in your moral authority. You are holy in your judgment. And you're holy in carrying out your purposes that no man and no earthly being can thwart. You are worthy of our trust. You are worthy of our worship. Lord, today, help us to live in the joy of the Lord. No matter what you bring into our lives, may the truth that you are at work, that you are with us, the comfort that comes from suffering together is a comfort and communion that is a gift from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.